Welcome to Glasgow Evangelicals Podcast. Thanks for listening with us today. Our hope is that today's sermon equips you to live the gospel joyously. Come along with us as we learn to live the gospel together. As soon as our mics turned on, I heard somebody over here go, shh, <laughs> it's time to start now. Oh, I love it. Shh, yeah. quiet down. Sometimes when we're up here, uh, just so you know, um, we kind of feel like newscasters at the end of, of the, when the news is over and the credits are rolling and they're talking and you can see them, but you're really just reading the credits. We kind of feel like that. We're waiting for them to turn the mics on. And also, we're really excited when everybody is talking. The point of church is for us to have relationship with each other. And so we, we try not to just interrupt while you guys, hey, say good morning to everybody, but it can only be 36 and a half seconds. And then we're going to interrupt you for more important stuff. Well, no, that's not the case. We kind of want to let it go until, you know, it gets to a good lull. It's and then, breaking yeah. news. Good morning. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. Um, I, I would like to start us out um, in, in the end of First uh, Thessalonians. Um, Paul is talking to the church in Thessalonica. And um, I'd, I'd like to just share with, with us um, what he's, he's, he's got here for us. So it's chapter 5, starting in verse 12. Um, and it, it's titled in, in my Bible, Final Instructions. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And so as we gather, there's a lot of hard things in relationship that we have to do when we have friends that might be veering a little bit off of the path. It's our job in this church family to, to help um, nudge them back, um, guide them into His Word and His Spirit. And so, um, yeah, I, I just would really like us to remember every Sunday morning that this is actually not about you. Like if we, if we all took our fingers and this is what I would do in youth group, we'd point to ourselves. It's not about us, but it's about the collective us. And so when we're here, it's about relationship and, and being together. And so I'm really excited. Uh, Seth, you probably have some announcements you can start off with, right? You got some things you want to announce? You always do that to me. <laughs> I'll do all the biblical Let awesome me bring stuff. you Jesus. Seth Runner, do the announcements. Yeah. Hey, uh, there's just a couple of things that you may need to know about. Uh, the thing that I want to actually talk about today on the right-hand side of your bulletin is the Guatemala missions trip. Uh, Brian has said this briefly, but I'm going to now say a little bit more in detail. We need a couple of men... Um, or women who are really good at building. Uh, one of the things they told us at the orphanage was, hey, unless you bring a team next time to go and build some houses uh, in the uh, inner city, well, the outer city, but um, hey, unless you bring them, there's really no use in you coming because that's the next step in our, in, in our orphanage. We love the fact that you take care of babies, but our goal at this orphanage is to actually start getting these babies back 
with their families because God has designed families to be together. And the way that we get to be able to do that is by having safe homes for these uh, kids to get back to. And so uh, they are in the next process of trying to be able to go, okay, let's go and fix these homes up so that the kids can be back there. And so we only have a limited number of spots to be able to take on this trip because we, we could take uh, we, about 14 and then we have to rent another van and then that costs a little bit more money and different things like that. So we could take 30 people, but the problem is, is uh, I don't think 30 people are going. And so uh, we need you guys to step up. If you are a builder, a electrician, a plumber, um, anything like that, if, you're, uh, if you ha know somebody owns a construction business and you work for them, I don't know. If you've ever nailed something, hey, would you just be willing, Brad, Marlene? Um, <clears throat> I've said everything I about that. I told him the story, I'm, that's why uh, yeah. he said that. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Brad, didn't mean to make you feel bad. My Brad. Uh, but uh, hey, if you, if you can be able to be a part of that, would you be willing to look at that time in November to be able to take off and go, hey, I want to lead a group of people to just go in and build, be a part of building houses in Guatemala. And so be thinking about that, praying about that, because we do need to buy plane tickets soon. And so my spiel is done for Guatemala missions trip. You can go okay. to the next one up top. Yeah, and just talk to me. If you're interested, just talk to me. Yeah. I have a little application, whatever. We can, we can talk about dates uh, and, and all of that stuff. If, if God is putting a little thing in your heart, come talk to me. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who, through fear of death, were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. 
Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And I just want to tell you, I'm super glad that I am your pastor so that I can make as many stakes, mistakes in front of you always. Because if you didn't realize, uh, when I did the baby dedication, I said that Abraham sacrificed his son. Uh, and so Abraham did not sacrifice his son. Abraham went through the process. And in the end, we see our first picture of God providing an atonement for what needs to be paid, and which is actually what we're talking about this very day. And so um, I also just talked to a person who just told me, because we pray back there, and this person said, I'm so glad you're the pastor so you can make mistakes every week. Um, and then he gave me a huge hug. Uh, but uh, I, I love that because here's the deal, is I'm, I'm not perfect. And we are all not perfect, but we get to dive into the Word of God, which is perfect every single week and uh, get to dissect it a little bit and, and walk through. And so last week we started a sermon series uh, just going through the book of Hebrews together chapter by chapter. And so, uh, like I said, I'm, I may skip a chapter here or there, um, but, uh, and I don't know how many weeks it's going to take us. There's some things in there. We're not going to go through Hebrews chapter 3 next week because uh, we've got Mother's Day and we've got a special little message for there. But uh, today we are in Hebrews chapter 2. And so, if you have your Bibles, why don't you open up with me to that? And here's, here's the deal. I have titled this sermon, Jesus Loves You a Latte. Uh, and uh, if you are reading Hebrews, you can't not think about coffee. I'm sorry, Hebrews. I mean, it's just so amazing. And we couldn't look at the book of Hebrews and not make a couple of coffee jokes. And so I love coffee and Jesus loves me a latte. So there we go. They go perfect together. So the next little while, let's just call this coffee time with Jesus, not with Seth or anything like that. So there we go. I got that one out. Jesus loves you a latte. I had, I, it was, it's been there for all week and I couldn't wait to share that. All right. So uh, if last week's sermon was all about the supremacy of Jesus as being God himself and about God coming and speaking and revealing himself by Jesus, this week's sermon is about our relationship to that God and how we can know he has conquered sin through his life as being a human being. And so my aim today is to show that our faith is not just based on some mighty God who sits on a throne somewhere in another realm, but that God came down to us. And that through Jesus, who was 100% God, as we looked at last week, and this week we're going to look at being 100% man in, in terms of how, how he can relate to us. So the aim is that our sin cannot be conquered unless Jesus walked in our world to fulfill the law that separates us from God. Jesus has to be our example, and Jesus has to be supreme even as a human.
And so I'm going to do this a little bit differently today. Uh, as you can kind of see, we're working backwards in this chapter. But I'm, I'm kind of going to, going to, kind of going to want to, going to start in Hebrews chapter 2. And, and we're going to start in verse 2 together. And verse 2 says this, For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience receives a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? And we're going to unpack that a little bit, and then we're going to jump into verses 3 and 4, and then we're going to go back up to verse 1, but we're going to get through this whole entire chapter together. But before we do that, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, as we come, I know we've prayed a lot already, but uh, it's maybe more for my heart than it is for the people out here. And so, God, would you just help us to unpack this well? Would you help our hearts to open to your word? In your name we pray. Amen. Last week, we didn't get to the part where we talked about Jesus was greater than angels and uh, Brian kind of wrapped up that whole little part. But the reason why we want to get to the point of Jesus is greater than angels because the angels before Jesus came were the ones that would bring the news. That there was something else going on, that God had something for his people, that the angels would reveal to the prophets of the time that there was something going on. And so he's setting up this whole entire stage to be able to say this verse, that the message declared by the angels proved to be reliable. And here was the message, that every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. Basically, what it's saying here is this, is that there is a price to be paid for the sinfulness of man. And the Old Testament ways of doing that, but we talked about the Old Testament and how it was showing us that the sacrificial system was there, it was in place, that something had to be done. That at some point, we went astray from God. And so I'm going to define sin here a little bit, but in going back, we, we constantly seem like we keep going back to Genesis. And in Genesis, we see that God tells this command to Adam and Eve. He says, you can eat from any tree of the garden, but just don't eat from this tree, which is the knowledge of good and evil. The knowledge that there is evil, that there can be something other than goodness, that we could try to see if we could make our own judgment on what's good or not good. And so really, actually, I would have to say, if we're going to define sin, you hear all these arguments, well, sin is missing the mark or sin is going against God. And all those are absolutely true. But I think that the sinfulness comes when we think that we are our own God. that we've got everything under control, that we can do it all on our own, that we have it all handled, and all the things that the creator of us said were good, we now feel like we can question. It's up for debate.
And if sin is in us like that, if we would realize that at every single moment in our lives we're making choices on what is best for us without the direction of God, we are completely sinning against the Creator. I'm going to get into that a little bit more, but at the last chapter stated that Christ himself brought and bought our salvation with his life. I think the fear in this section of scripture is that we don't actually see that it is that great of salvation. We've been led astray. We've been told that it's less than great. And we actually don't accept the great salvation. And when we don't accept the great salvation, we are doomed to an eternity separated from God. I think it's really curious that right away in chapter 2 he talks about, let's make sure that you don't drift. I wonder if we know we're even afloat right now. We can't actually understand good news until we understand the bad news. Deuteronomy 30.19 says, Jesus, or God is talking to Moses, he says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. There's only one or two options. Life and blessings or death and curses. Which one would you choose? I want to start this morning with the good news. <laughs> the good news that death and Satan have no power over our life. And the only way they do have power is if we refuse Christ. The author of Hebrews actually knows the truth of humanity and the fear that we have of death. And he actually knows the power of Satan. The reality of death is actually inevitable. If, if, I, if there was no death, I wouldn't be doing funeral after funeral these days lately. I wonder if we are, would one, I wonder if we could maybe for a second think that maybe we can take Satan seriously. First Peter 5 does a beautiful picture of that. It says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. I heard this story of this model who uh, was brought in to take a picture shoot and uh, there was a lion laying there and uh, the trainer had the lion just sitting there and she came in and they posed her on the lion, right? And she just, she kind of did one of these, laid against the lion, draped herself, like all these pictures and all of a sudden the lion turned around and started chewing on her, like just attacked her. Right? And afterwards, they do a huge interview 
with the, do an interview with the trainer. And he's like, I, I don't know what happened. I don't, I don't understand. Like, he's always, he's always been nice. It's a lion! Come on! It's a lion! Like, right? Like, I don't get it. I mean, I, I was playing with this auger, and I thought maybe I could stick my hand. I mean, I mean come on. It's a, this is the beautiful picture. I mean, prowls around like a roaring lion. Man, he's waiting for somebody to devour. But yet we want to go, I, I didn't get it. I didn't, I didn't understand. The very end of all things, like God is going to go, did you not realize that it was a lion? Like you, you drifted, you're afloat, you're drifting away, which we'll get to later on. The devil is the epitome of sin. The devil is completely opposed to God's being, God's character, God's purpose, God's people, and God's glory. He has never wanted anything good for anyone. He wants nothing more to make us drift and be tempted and to lose our hope of salvation. To maybe make us realize that it's actually not that great of a salvation after all anyway. He wants to take us away from the good news. And so the author wants to give us hope in this scripture right here with the victory of Jesus in verse 14 through 18. And so well, let's read it together. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, we are the children, share in flesh and blood. He himself likewise partook of the same things. Jesus came to partake exactly everything we've dealt with. And this is a huge part right here. Because he would realize what we go through and know what we go through and understand the heartaches, the, the pain, and still choose to do exactly what God is asking him to do. That through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. Through his life as a man would destroy the devil and his power and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. We're free. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. We are the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. And I cannot wait until we get into the section in Hebrews where it talks about a high priest. To make propitiation for the sins of the people, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Let's talk about that word propitiation for a second. All it simply means is this, is that there's a price that has to be paid. Something has to be paid and something has to appease the wrath of God. And when I say that, I understand that a lot of people go, I don't want to know about the wrath of God. But here's the deal. You want a God who has wrath. I'm telling you, you want a God who is so much holier than the, us and so much more righteous than us that he could perfect in us. That. Because if he doesn't have wrath, guess what? He's not a God who can ask anything of us. 
He's not a God who can say, please, would you obey my commands? If he's not a God of wrath, he's actually a God who really doesn't have any power at all to be able to say, this is the way to live. And so, because we can't, because we've chosen to live our own way, he said, I have to pay that for you. And I have to appease that for you. And so he himself made a way for that by making Christ exactly like us. Flesh and bones. Hebrews 2.14 allows us to see that Jesus came and to be our example in all areas of our lives. To give us courage to place our hope and life in the one who was sinless. See, the thing is, is that's the difference between Jesus and us. That in his whole entire life, because he obeyed God and followed God, he was absolutely sinless. And we know we can't do that because of the Old Testament. Because we've already been born into a sin nature. Jesus was sinless because he was also 100% God and 100% man. And I know that a lot of us go, I don't get that. But that is a hope that we have. And we get to actually look at that in Hebrews a little bit more. And I know I keep on saying, just wait. But it's, it's true. We have to wait for it. Because he is sinless and willing to put himself on the cross, the wrath of God was placed on Christ. We have to understand that a sinless life leads to the cross. There's no other option for Jesus but to die on the cross for us. Jesus on the cross took on the sins of humanity of all people. Let the weight of that sink in. Seven billion people live on the earth today. If only they sinned once that seven billion sins on one man. Let's talk about throughout all of humanity. Think of it that way. Now think of your own sin. I can think of lots of mine this week. And I've done some doozies this week. Just ask me about it. I'll tell you. Oh man. It's not just one sin. It's multiple sins over and over again. And you would think that we would get it right, but Jesus says this. He goes, no, I'll, I'll take on that sin. Can you imagine, could you imagine the punishment on Jesus? Could you imagine all the crimes committed, all the injustices ever committed, all the orphans left on the side of the road, all the widows that weren't taken care of. All of the things that we've done to this world were applied to Jesus on the cross. He is our great salvation. He is our victor. He is our example. He is our righteousness. He is our encouragement. He is our anchor to not drift away.
And so our desire to live pure and holy lives is actually found in Jesus, not just some sort of, hey, I should probably do this and be a good human being. Absolutely not. And we will not completely get rid of sin in our lives. And is that, that's what we found in every human soul on this earth, except for one. Jesus was the absolute sinless one. And I know I keep repeating myself, but man, I wish that I could get this sometimes, that Christ's perfect obedience, not ours, is the salvation of our acceptance with God. Christ paid for all of those sort of things. Albert Moeller says this in, in a book. He says, The good news is only good, though, when it is accepted in the bad news. And so the bad news we have to realize is that we're sinful human beings in need of a Savior. The bad news is we are truly deserving of hell for our transgressions of God's righteous requirement. The really bad news is we will even be more accountable to God if we reject Christ. The seriousness of the gospel cannot be overstated. The gospel is good news for those who repent of their sin and trust in Christ. So how, now we go into the part of, okay, great, that's awesome, but how do we know this message is true? Because it's not new. I'm pretty sure that most people in Glasgow, Montana have been to some sort of funeral, have been to some sort of church event or something that goes, great, awesome, thanks for telling me about that. That's what I've heard my whole entire life. I'm bad, Jesus is good. If I accept Jesus, that's great. But that's not, that's not the whole picture here. All the whole picture is, is that we would understand that and then go, this message is true and lead us into the way in which we should follow God. And Hebrews in this piece of section would say that great salvation message is true for four reasons. And if you want to take notes, you can. I, put, I left enough space in there for you. But the first reason why we know this great salvation message is true is because Jesus himself spoke about it. Jesus himself came and said, this is the new way for you to be saved. You don't need the old sacrificial way. We don't need to slaughter any lambs anymore or lots of other animals. But it's because Jesus brought it to us. We know the great salvation to be true. Look at Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2 to look at that. The second way in that the great salvation was confirmed is by those who walked with Jesus and heard him talk about it. The third way that people know that this message is true is because actually God himself testified through signs and wonders and miracles. The miracles weren't amazing upon themselves except for the miracles were done to continually point back to the power of Jesus Christ and to give God glory.
And the fourth way in which that we know this message is to be true is because we have people who are gifted by the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4, 11 through 12 says this, And he gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be the shepherds, some to be the teachers, all for this point, to equip the saints for the work of ministry and to build up the body of Christ all to continually point back to, we have sin, we've got a problem, we need Jesus. These four bear, bear witness to the fact that the great covenant of Jesus Christ and the great salvation is now. Which brings us to two one. And this is what it says. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Last week I was uh, I had the fortune of being able to stay at a cabin with my family and up early in the morning we woke up and uh, there's a boat sitting out there and it's pretty windy last week, probably about 13 mile an hour wind and there's this fishing boat sitting out there and it's pointed south, right? And um, it is staying there all day long. And I'm just, and by, I'm pretty sure by six o'clock when we left, it was still there, pointed in the same direction. And I was like, that guy is amazing. I can never keep my boat like pointed straight. Like, and first of all, it was white caps. And I wouldn't be out there with my boat anyway. And so I was really excited. And I came into the office. And I was like, Brian, you would not believe this fisherman was amazing. He somehow he figured out how to anchor in this really deep water because I've been in that section and I'm like, man, this is like 60 to 70 feet deep. Who's got an anchor that far down below? And I was just really excited. He's like, this is an amazing fisherman. And, and Brian just starts laughing at me, just laughing at me. And he says, do you, do you realize we have technology for that? I said, what, what do you mean? And he goes, they have GPS things now that you just set. This is where I want to stay. And this little trolling motor just keeps on spinning and doing all it needs to do. And he's like, what kind of boat was it? And I told him it was this Triton boat, probably Rasmussen boat. I have no clue. But, uh, you know, this thing just sat there, pointed in always the right direction. And then I started to realize that when we're afloat, and we have the right GPS unit, and we have the right thing that we've got going on, we can just sit there and go, this is where I want to head. God, would you point me in the right direction? Even when waves are coming, even when things are going, I'm not going to drift because I've got you holding me here in the right direction where I need to be at the right moment. The author is trying to get his reader's attention to focus on the reality of Christ, not to be bogged down with the world around him. I just love that picture of this boat because I'm telling you, like, I just would not want to be out there on the water that day. And this boat is still fishing, still doing what it's supposed to be doing, which is catching fish. Because if it wasn't catching fish, I'm sure they would have moved a long time ago. Unless they're just really stubborn. I don't know. I don't fish. 
But man, I love that picture because look at it. They're headed in the right direction. God, Jesus, you are my anchor. You're my trolling motor. You're my boat. You've got everything under control and all I've got to do is say, no, I'm, I don't want to drift. Keep me going. If we don't anchor ourselves in Christ, we are in danger of a faith that is tossed and turned about by every little wave and wind. Hebrews warns us of drifting after we have understood that God has made a way for us to be reconciled to him. Don't drift away. The author warns us to heed the message of Christ and to be aware of spiritual drift. There, if you didn't realize this, there is no standing still. I, I don't mean to say, if we didn't realize this, I, I don't mean to keep saying you. There's no standing still in our relationship with God. This is not a lip service with God in which we cannot simply just ask for forgiveness and say, thank you for forgiving me of my sin and tell of his greatness every once in a while on a Sunday and not desire to live our lives for him. But this, the opposite of true is that we are headed towards a destination. And even if we are off by a degree, if we've drifted even by a degree, we are miles away from our desired destination. It's important for us to realize that it's not lip service and that we realize the weight of our sin and that we realize the goodness of God and we realize that his way has always been the right way and we fight constantly against our sin to be completely going, no, I want to obey God. And so finally, you get to hear me say finally, how do you avoid spiritual drift? I don't, I don't know if we realize, but we are being constantly taught all the time. There's no standing still, like I said. Commercials, billboards, Twitter, political campaign ads, television, Netflix, Amazon, preachers, conversations, and all the eyes are trying to take in are constantly teaching us. And so I love what the author is saying. Be aware of drift. Be aware of drift. And as soon as we decide to follow Christ, you're automatically going against the flow of this world. And you cannot, and you can get swept away, sorry, and you can get swept away if you're not intentionally following Christ. We have to pay attention. Pay attention. Keep paying attention to your relationship with Jesus Christ. Your spiritual growth will not happen in two hours on a Sunday morning if I keep preaching for the next 45 minutes. It is a constant everyday desire to meet with the supreme creator and sustainer of us. Here's where it's at. We avoid drift by reading, by hearing, by meditating on and obeying scripture. We avoid drift by dropping the anchor of our soul into the depths of God's glorious word. Let's pray. Hey God, as we finish this last song, may it be true that our hearts are yours. That God, we would desire to read and to hear and to meditate and to obey your word and that we would drop our anchor 
into your glorious character, nature, word, and that we would not drift. But that, God, we would hear the good news. And that we would realize that we're sinners. All of us. In your name we pray. Amen. I still have one last thing to say. I know I said last thing. I know. But uh, hey, as we sing this song, here's what it is. It's one of our favorite songs at our church called Here's Our Heart, Lord. And how do we get to the point of realizing that we're sinners and taking the next step in our relationship with Jesus Christ is we turn and we trust God. We say, God, we, we don't want to do what we've been doing. We want to do what you're doing and we trust that your way is the best. And so this song is the perfect opportunity for you to sit down if you've never done that and to say, I want to turn and trust. I want to have my whole entire hope in Christ. And that's a beautiful, perfect little time for you to do that with, your, with God right now. And so let's sing this song out loud. The American church has gone to the way of comfort. If we want to reach people for Christ, we have to have comfortable chairs, we have to have lattes and donuts and delicious mints. <laughs> we, have to, we have to have comfortable things because we don't like being uncomfortable. And God is good, amen? But God is wrathful and judgeful. And we start to think that that's not good. But God is good. The wrath and judgment is good. And let me paint this picture. Picture the most pure, amazing, awesome, holy light you've ever, ever, ever seen, imagined, thought of. If there was one microscopic, and then you, you like even zoom in further, if there was any sense of any kind of darkness in it, it would not be God. It wouldn't be God. God is holy. And so here's the problem with making everything comfortable. We forget about how bad we are. And I'm not talking about cussing and drinking or, we're not holy. Our sin is that we're not God. Our sin is that even if there's a speck, even just a teeny little tiny thought, we can't, we can't make it to eternity with God. And so Seth went all the way back to Genesis and before with Adam and Eve, there was, they didn't even have the knowledge. Then they gained the knowledge of evil and just the knowledge of evil causes us to be selfish and sinful and and so as we start to picture the good news, the good news is, is that we have a God that came to us. We have a God that wants to share eternity with us. And he is perfect. Not, not those brownies are perfect, hon, thank you. Like we've, we've lessened that word of perfect. I'm trying to overemphasize and I can't overemphasize the amount of holiness and perfectness that is God. I wrote on my, you can't see it. I wrote on here, God is holy. And then I thought that wasn't good enough. So next to it, I was like, super duper holy. <laughs> like, like we, the good news is, is that we have a holy God that came down to us and lived the life that we couldn't live and then took the wrath of, and Seth, when you started to talk about the wrath, I just, I started to cry because 
we don't understand. It's not that he, it's not the painful death he had of, of carrying his cross and being whipped and being made fun of. Like we can relate to that. That's what this life is for us, is pain and suffering. But we'll never, the good news is, is we never have to understand the payment for our sin because it's done. It's done. We're gonna pray one more time. Lord, we, we humbly come to you and, and what I'm gonna ask on behalf of everyone here is Lord, you give us insight into your holiness. Lord, shine that light into, I, I wanna say heart, but into our soul, into everything that we are. Lord, we're asking you to just, just be there. Lord, no matter how many good works we try to do, no, how, no matter how many people we help across the road and how many orphans we help, Lord, you are what's good. All the good that we try to do is only in your name to glorify you, Lord, and point to your holiness and your amazingness. And so, Lord, I just pray that if we don't know you and we're in this room, that today we can understand eternity a little bit better. Lord, and if there's anybody in here, may you give them the courage to, to come up front or ask a friend how to join in relationship with you. And Lord, for those of us that have made the commitment and we do trust and know you, thank you so much for the opportunity to grow even closer and understand you a little bit better. We love you, Lord. We ask all of these things in your holy name. We leave everything at the most level playing field there is at the foot of the cross, and we understand that better today. And we ask it all in the name of your Son. And everybody said, Amen. Thanks for joining us again for another sermon of the GEC podcast. Connect with us at GlasgowEC.com or every Sunday morning at 10 here in Glasgow, Montana. If you enjoyed this podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes because this helps us share the word with more people. See you next week.